Welcome to our podcast for Plains United Methodist Church of Plains, Pennsylvania. Our scripture readings for later in the service are Romans 5, 1 through 8, and Isaiah 40, 21 through 31. I am Reverend Tenny Rupnick, and my email address is T-E-N-H-U-T R-U-P at gmail.com. That's ten hut rup at gmail.com. Please send me any prayer requests you have and let me know if they're private in nature or if they're okay to share in next week's podcast because your church family really wants to be praying for you. Our prayer requests for this week are Clyde Dukes, the Adkinson family after the passing of Paul, the Wigodzinski family after the passing of Dolores, and for Ann Dyer and other loved ones after the passing of Ann's mother, Louise Smith. And a couple of quick announcements. Firstly, we'll post an article later today on our Facebook page, which is a follow-up to this morning's sermon. It's not a long read, but it's a good one. It's full of truth, and I invite you to check it out later today. Secondly, and this is Friday for me as I'm recording, but the Department of Health website is indicating that Luzerne County will enter the green phase and open up more on Friday, June 19th. I'm very, very happy about this, as I know you must all be too. I'm hoping this will mean that we can resume attending church in person, but I was hoping that we could resume on June 28th, as I think that June 21st will be too quick of a turnaround for some people. Um, And when we open on June 28th, if that is agreed upon and is is what we do, please remember that we will have to open with certain important changes in place, such as expecting people to wear a face mask and sanitizing their hands and keeping a social distance. I'll release a statement concerning those changes later this week, but I'm just so happy that I'll be able to see you all in person again, it sounds like quite soon. The second Sunday after Pentecost, June 14, 2020. Our Bible verse of the week is Exodus 19, 3 through 5a. And Moses went up to God. The Lord called him to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Gather together with me by closing your eyes and imagining our sanctuary around you. Just think in a couple weeks we might be there again. The smooth pew beneath you, the shuffles and whispers of those around you, the light slanting in through the stained glass windows, the flickering flame of the candles. Place yourself there in your mind. We are not there in person, but God can help us feel there in spirit. Our prayer of invocation. Lord God, our God, we give you thanks and praise for your mercy and your love. Make us worthy, O Lord, to receive all your gifts. Descend on us like the light of a new day. Give your light unto our souls and put your praise onto our lips now and forevermore. And all God's children say, Amen. Our call to worship this morning is taken from Psalm 100. 
Lord God, through Jesus, you opened the eyes of the blind, you healed the sick and fed the hungry. We give you praise and thanks for your mercy and your love. Loving Father, by the Spirit, you restore strength to the weary and give hope to those who are in despair. We give you praise and thanks for your mercy and your love. You call us, Lord, to proclaim your deeds and your wonders to all people. You call us to worship and serve you that all may be made whole. You offer us a new life of righteousness. We give you praise and thanks for your mercy and your love. Make us worthy, O Lord, to receive all your gifts. Descend on us like the light of a new day. Give light to our souls and put your praise upon our lips. Amen. Let us join together in our opening prayer. Almighty God, we are gathered under the shelter of your wings, nurtured by your motherly love, and encouraged then to fly by faith on the wind of your spirit. You have spoken to us, saying, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Teach us how to wait then, that we may learn how to fly. May the nests we call family and church and community be built with sturdy materials. Don't let us forget, though, that these nests were not created as a fortress behind which to hide, but rather as a perch from which to take off. And strengthen us with the assurance that we do not fly alone. This we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's children say, Amen. Our first hymn this morning is number 393 in the hymnal, entitled Spirit of the Living God. And I'll sing through it twice and invite you to sing with me if you know the words. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Let us join together now in our confession of faith, the Apostles' Creed. Let us say what we believe and believe what it is that we say. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, 
he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Our prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Creating God, it has been told to us since the very beginning that you are truly the Lord of all that is and ever shall be. You are the God of both the prince and pauper, of feast and famine, of the mighty and the weak. And we know that you do not favor the strong over the powerless. Remind us of your inclusive love as we read the scriptures, O God of true justice. Open our eyes, open our hearts, that we may be strengthened and renewed by your word. And all God's children say, Amen. Our epistle reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 21 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is the Lord your God who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see, who created these? He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow weary or faint. His understandings are unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and he strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The title of this morning's message is, Have You Not Heard? We Are Not Perfect. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? We are not perfect. It's true. In fact, we're not even close. Actually, we're very, very far from it. We make mistakes. We can be callous and hard-hearted. We can be selfish and cold, judgmental and weak. We think of ourselves before we consider others. And while we may say things like, we are no longer our own but God's, and that we freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to our Lord's pleasure and disposal, we kind of rarely do. Because our wants get in the way, and our pride gets in the way, and our habits and expectations and desires just get in the way. Wouldn't you agree? I think you do. I think that most of you listening are probably freely enough admitting that you, personally and individually, are not, in fact, perfect. I think you might be on board enough to even say it with me. I'm confident enough of this that I'm going to ask you on the count of three to do just that right now with this podcast, to say it with me, to say, we are not perfect. You ready? One, two, three. We are not perfect. That's right. We know it. We're not. And as I said, I assume most of you listening could freely enough admit that you, as a person and individual, are not, in fact, perfect. That you are personally and individually, perhaps, pride-filled and sin-soaked, selfish at times. But, and this is the point I wanted to introduce today and make for all of us, but I do think it would be harder for most of us to admit to the same sinfulness, that same selfishness and sometimes straight out meanness, if we were challenged to claim it for the we in my initial wording. What do I mean? Well, let me explain. While I think it can be easier for a person to say, yeah, pastor, I can be selfish and am incredibly flawed and even unkind at times, easier for an individual person to admit to that than it ever is for a group of people to admit to the very same thing. Easier for one person to admit to their own failures than it can be for a whole group to do so. Think of it this way. I, as a 45-year-old person named Tenny, can find it easy enough to say, I mess up all the time. I have selfishness in me, unloving attitudes, and sin easier for me to open up to that personally than it would ever be for a large group of women in their 40s, for example, to say, we 40-something women are selfish and unloving and full of sin about us as a whole, about our we, as our identity as over 40-year-old females. 
Because claiming such failures for ourselves as the whole group, well, that's just a sweeping generalization and feels threatening and wrong. It feels like an unfair labeling of the many and a very unfavorable labeling at that. We shy away from naming our faults as members of a group with such broad and sweeping gestures. While we can admit to individual sin in the hopes that we will quickly then be excused from it, we shy away from accepting blame for corporate or group sin in the fear that we'll later be held accountable for it. Let me say that again. While we can admit to individual sin in the hopes that we will quickly then be excused from it, we shy away from accepting blame for corporate or group sin in the fear that we'll later be held accountable for it. It's a hard thing to not only recognize where we go wrong as a group, but also to admit to such a thing as it is called, to admit to such a thing as corporate or shared sin. Because the idea of shared sin is kind of out of style in our individualistic culture. We can't really relate. It doesn't really translate to us. I sin, sure. I could admit to that easily enough. But the idea that a group that I belong to and identify with does? Well, that's, as they say in the classic film, The Wizard of Oz, that's a horse of a different color. We'll get back to all that in a bit. Not to horses and the changed color, but back to the idea of corporate or shared sin. But first, I'd like to talk for a bit about eagles. Yep, eagles. Not about the team for you Philadelphia fans out there, but about the majestic birds of prey, about the impressive flying raptors. When I was still living in South Carolina and serving as a pastor there, I had a meeting one day with a bunch of other pastors. This meeting was mandatory, and we were there to take part of a necessary training. But before our training began, one of the pastors had been asked to lead the rest of us in a short devotional, time of devotion. So she walked up to the front and right off she said to all of us, please tell me I'm not the only one here who has been watching that eagle nest on live cam this past week. Huh, I thought, eagle nest, live cam? Apparently, and this was a few years ago, Apparently, there was a very popular live feed set up in the wilderness at a bald eagle's nest, and folks from all over the country were logging onto this live feed, and they were getting a chance to see the male and female bald eagles coming and going, and, and this was the real draw, to see the clutch of eggs that the female had laid there. Think of it. A camera close enough to these paired eagles airy to their normally inaccessible nest and showing this normally unseen sight in a live feed to whomever was interested. It's kind of like a few years back when there was so much hubbub online about that baby giraffe that was to be born and just about everyone it seemed was watching. And so in the case of this eagle's nest and her clutch of eggs, I guess there was a large internet audience that was in impatient anticipation for those eggs to hatch and for those eaglets to break free and to greet the waiting world. And this pastor in South Carolina, the one giving our pre-training devotion, 
Well, she had gotten all caught up in the excitement. She was really, really into it, logging on several times a day. And she told us that in all her excitement for those eggs to hatch, she told us that she became more and more curious about eagles and that she had been reading up on them in her spare time, reading up on eagles, on their habits and ways. And she told us that in her reading, she discovered something she had never before been aware of, something she wanted to share with us. And she began to fill us in on what she learned about the process of eagles molting. How many of you out there are familiar with the major midlife molt, M-O-L-T, that an eagle will undertake? I certainly wasn't, not until I heard about it from her. Evidently, as an eagle ages, its beak softens, its talons soften, and its feathers lose the light, flexible character of youth and get hard and brittle instead. And these side effects, as you can imagine, of an eagle's aging process are, of course, a terrible turn of events for a bird of prey. Brittle feathers make it harder to swoop, soar, and dive. Softer talons and beak make it more difficult to kill, carry away, and rip into their prey. And so, as a result, these aging eagles wind up being less successful in their hunt which means they wind up eating less, which of course means they wind up growing weaker and weaker. Now this generally happens to eagles when they are about 40 years of age. While this is an ancient or impossible age for many types of birds, it is the age when an eagle will molt at 40 years old. It is at this age that the eagle will give in to its instinct and will actually give up the hunt. It's at this point at which an eagle turns its back on all of its recent struggle, its recent unsuccessful hunts and increasing hunger. And when it finds for itself a protected valley, and when it swoops down into it and settles down into it and just stays still, just stays there, in order it would seem initially to just give up. But in reality, A surrender or giving in is not at all what is happening here. Instead, this is when and where an intense period of refining, redefining, and regrowth begins. Because that eagle in that valley, well, it finds a boulder or a rocky outcropping, and it begins to swing its head back and forth and back and forth and to strike violently against that rocky outcropping with the side and then that side, and then this side again of its beak. And it rears back its head and strikes that rock straight on with its beak, head on, straight on, hard, side to side, even harder, whack straight on, whack, whack, side to side, powerful swings of the head and powerful impacts of the beak. And this four decades old eagle strikes and pummels and whacks its beak over and over again against that rock time and time again until that softer aging beak begins to splinter and to crack and to break away. But the eagle doesn't stop then. The eagle continues on as the eagle continues to snap off and break off and then scour away and sand away at the rough and jagged edges of its own beak 
until that older, weakening beak is completely gone and a new, fresh, and diamond-hard beak begins to grow in its place until a new, hunting-worthy, ripping-worthy beak forms anew. It's pretty incredible. But the eagle doesn't stop there either. For as this new, tougher beak is forming, the eagle uses it as best it can to then get to work on its talons, to address the problem of its softening and insufficient talons by breaking them off and by pulling them out, and also by using that tough new beak to get to work on its brittle feathers, by cleaning them up and pulling them out, so that harder talons can grow in and softer feathers can form. And until this eagle can emerge from that that period of discomfort, that place of self-focus, that wasteland and wilderness time, until the eagle can emerge from that protected valley, strengthened and renewed and revitalized, until the eagle can raise itself up and out of what, of that necessary roughness, with a necessary toughness, to really live once again. And you know what? The eagle that successfully molts and rises on its wings once again, it can, listen to this, that eagle can live another 30 to 40 years with its new beak and talons and feathers, with its new approach to life. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? We are not perfect. We are not. It's true. In fact, we're not even close. Actually, we are very, very far from it. We make mistakes. We can be callous and hard-hearted. We can be selfish and cold, judgmental and weak. We think of ourselves before we consider others. And while we may say things like we are no longer our own but God's, we kind of rarely are because our wants get in the way and our pride gets in the way and our habits and expectations and desires just get in the way. And this time, when you hear these words repeated, can you hear the we in these statements and maybe be more open to it? Maybe able to ease yourself into the idea as unfamiliar and uncomfortable and painful as it may be to ease yourself into the idea of a sin that can belong to the we, a shared sin, a corporate sin. It's hard, I know. I don't like it either. But you know, the idea of corporate or shared sin is not a new idea. And it goes way, way, way back into our Christianity. The idea of corporate or shared sin was around in the early church, and it was around even before that, before the Christian church, in that it was even strongly around in the Jewish faith, in the faith of Jesus the Christ, the faith of our Savior. It was there for his ancestors and for him. It was in his faith, even before he was born under that star and took his first squalling breath and lived, It's totally biblical, this idea, the reality of corporate and shared sin. It's there when God became furiously angry with whole groups of people in the Old Testament, with all the Israelites, for example, and would send punishment for a whole group rather than just one or two individuals. 
It was there later then when Jesus was angry with and called all the Pharisees and scribes unfavorable names when he told them they were hypocrites and blind guides and fools. And we can be. Yes, we can be. As people, as Christians. Yes, even as Americans and Caucasians. It'd be the worst kind of pride to deny it. We can as well be hypocrites and blind guides and fools. But don't despair. There is hope. Listen to this verse from the fifth chapter of Romans, a passage that also holds to the reality of corporate or shared sin, but also offers a reality of hope. Listen to Romans where it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. What is this passage saying? Well, it's saying that Adam sinned and that we're all sinners individually. And it's saying that we are all sinners as human beings, as God's Adam, corporately and in a shared way. But it is also saying that our forgiveness and our redemption and our salvation is corporate and shared as well. For through the obedience of the one man, that is Jesus the Christ, the many will be made righteous. The many will be saved. Through our faith in Jesus the Christ, we will be saved. You know, there's something I haven't yet told you about those molting eagles. Something I left out as I spoke of their valley experience. And it's this. While all aging, talon and beak softening and feather hardening eagles fly into the valley and all of them settle in it. While they all have that time in which they are given an opportunity to face and acknowledge their weakness and brittleness that causes them to fail and to begin dying. While they all come to that wilderness time and enter into that place of rocky outcroppings eventually, a place of much vulnerability and of an endless expanse of sky. While they all go into that valley, they don't all come out. Listen up now, for it's important to hear that all the aging eagles descend into their valleys, but they don't all ascend up and out of them. All go down, not all rise up. Because unless they accept and embrace and undertake the hard and painful and uncomfortable work of breaking up and ripping at and tearing away of the bad, and some of them don't, so that the better can grow in its place, they just become more and more weak and more and more hungry and more and more exposed and more and more incapable. Those eagles who avoid and shun and fold under the needed pain, the unavoidable change, the necessary roughness, will they sink slowly into feebleness and into death. Let's not be like those eagles. 
Is there a softness towards sin in our lives? May we break it against the rocks and shatter it. Is there a hardness of heart that has formed? May we strip it away and pluck it out. May we use this time, this valley time, when we are forced to face our own selves, may we use this time as a time to say, we trust you, God. We love you, God. We know that we are not perfect and are meant for better things than this, and we will keep working at and breaking up and ripping away until we are remade and renewed and re-strengthened once again, until we are fit and able to once more rise up and fly away again. Please, let's not let our pride get in the way. For as the prophet Isaiah said, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our next hymn this morning is number 143 in the hymnal, though this has added words, and I will be singing it for us, but I think you'll recognize the tune. shelter of the Lord, who abide in his shadow for life. Say to the Lord, my refuge, my rock, in whom I trust, and he will raise you up on eagles' wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. Thus narrow the capture you, and famine will bring you no fear. Under his wings your refuge, his faithfulness your shield, and he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. You need not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Though thousands fall about you, near you they shall not come, cause he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you 
palm of his hand and hold you, hold you in the palm of his hand. Now would be the time in our service in which we would ask the ushers to come forward and we would give of our offering. Thank you, beloved family at Plains, for giving so faithfully during these weeks when we weren't even able to worship together. Please remember to continue to give to your church so our ministry will be there as strong as ever and as viable as ever when we return. And so I say now as I say every week, just as our almighty God gave entirely for God's self for our sakes, we are likewise called to give up of ourselves for the sake of others. Let us pray. We worship you, O God, with gladness. We are your people. Your love endures forever. You have been faithful to all generations. As witness to this faith which we claim, we boldly give for your church and its ministry, because we know the amazing ways this church makes a difference in our lives and in our community. With joy in our hearts, we give to others as we have received from you. And all God's children say, Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise God above, ye heavenly host. Praise Creator Christ and Holy Ghost. Amen. And now as we have so gathered, not together in body physically, but still together as the body of Christ, let us bend the knees of our hearts and bow our heads before our Creator, Sustainer, and Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O Lord, hear our prayer, O Lord, hear our prayer, when we call, answer us. O Lord, hear our prayer, O Lord, hear our prayer, come and listen to Merciful God, full of grace, hear our prayers of confession and our prayers of need in these next few moments of silence. You lift us up to the heights, Holy One. On wings like eagles, you enable us to soar with the possibilities of revolution and of transformation, both within our own souls and within this world, which needs so much of our loving care. And yet it is not the bright skies where we most often live. We are here with our feet on the ground, your feet planted firmly beside us, as we try to walk without fainting, walk through the shadows of death and ill health and addiction. Walk through life changes, moves, births, aging, loss. We need your strength to not grow weary as we continue to hope for new life amidst old attitudes and injuries. We long to run and not grow faint as we challenge demeaning political tirades that seep into our own daily encounters, and as we work for your compassion and wholeness for all people and all creatures and the very earth. 
lift us up to the heights, Holy One, so we may again catch a glimpse of the vast possibilities of your great shalom, that is your peace, your wholeness, your completeness, even as we pray for it here on earth by praying as your Son taught us to, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn this morning will be read, and it's entitled, Go Forth for God. It is number 670 in our hymnal. Go forth for God, go to the world in peace. Be of good courage, armed with heavenly grace. In God's good spirit, daily to increase. Till in the kingdom we see face to face. Go forth for God, go to the world in peace. Go forth for God, go to the world in love. Strengthen the faint, give courage to the weak. Help the afflicted, richly from above. God's love supplies the grace and power we seek. Go forth for God, go to the world in love. Go forth for God, go to the world in strength. Hold fast to the good, be urgent for the right. Render to no one evil. Christ at length shall overcome all darkness with his light. Go forth for God, go to the world in strength. Go forth for God, go to the world in joy. To serve God's people every day and hour, and serving Christ our every gift employ, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit's power. Go forth for God. Go to the world. Enjoy. This is where our worship ends and our service begins. May the peace of the Lord be with you. God of life, God of hope, God of all, lift us on your love like eagle's wings. Sustain us, guide us, heal us. Then send us forth into the world that we may love as you love. We go, into, we go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Christ and all God's children say, Amen. Shalom to you now. Shalom, my friends. May God's full mercies bless you, my friends. In all your living and through your loving, Christ be your shalom. Christ be your shalom.